Please open up your Bibles to Philemon. And when you find Philemon, please stand with me. We are going to read verses 17 through 20. We are in week three of our four-week series in Paul's letter to Philemon. Philemon, verse 20. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. May God bless his word today. Please be seated. Philemon was a Christian living in Colossae in the first century. He had a slave who ran away to Rome, presumably with some of his money. And this man met the Apostle Paul, who led him to saving faith in Christ. Now while with Paul, he proved himself a faithful and trusted Christian brother. He lived up to his name, Onesimus, which means useful, helpful. Most likely through Paul's influence, God led him to go back, to humble himself, and to go back to Philemon and to make amends, to seek forgiveness for his wrongdoing. He'd already been forgiven by God. But he needed to go back. He still owed something to the man he had wronged. He needed to be reconciled to his master. And Paul helped him by writing this letter to Philemon, asking him to forgive his returning slave, who is now a brother in Christ. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is, uh, is the means by which we repair a seriously broken relationship. Seriously wounded. Where you move from indifference and hostility to harmony and reconciliation. Forgiveness is a great gauge of your spiritual condition. See, if you can look people who have wronged you in the eye and forgive them, it shows that you are gracious that you are in touch with your own humanity, that you have a a healthy view of the love of God. But if you're a person who doesn't forgive, one who holds grudges, who nurses bitterness and anger, then you're not gracious. You don't understand your own humanity. You're willing to destroy yourself and others because... You don't functionally understand the love of God. Every one of you matters to God uh, immensely, more than you could ever know. And because of that, we matter to one another. But relationships break down. We wound each other. And we hurt one another. And it creates sickness relationally. And the only prescription is forgiveness. We need more forgiveness. Be willing to let it go. 
That's what Paul is asking his friend to do. Let it go. Now, two weeks ago, we saw the heart of forgiveness in verses 1 through 7 as Paul expressed thanksgiving for Philemon and for his godly character. Last week, in verses 8 through 16, we saw the beauty of forgiveness. How the first word of the Christian life, repentance, and the most unpopular Christian virtue, forgiveness, combined to bring the possibility of reconciliation. Well, today, in verses 17 through 20, we're dealing with the brass tacks of forgiveness. Who's going to pay? Who's going to pay the cost? Who's going to pay for what Onesimus did? Who's going to pay his debt? See, forgiveness always has a cost, and someone's got to pay it. And in this letter, Paul offers to pay Onesimus' debt to Philemon. And to understand the magnitude of that, we need to understand the magnitude of God's action on our behalf in Christ. You see, in Christ we are forgiven freely, but forgiveness is not free. Someone has got to pay. And this raises some questions. The first question we need to ask is, what does paying the cost of forgiveness require? What is needed to be able to do that? And the first thing it requires, first and foremost, is identification with the one who is in debt to you. Identification with the debtor. You've got to understand their situation. You've got to understand their need. You've got to get into their pathology, basically. You've got to have empathy and compassion for where they're coming from. You've got to know their heart. Paul says in verse 17 to his friend Philemon, if you regard me a partner, if you regard me a partner, a fellow worker in the gospel, which they were, he says, if you, if you see me that way, then welcome Onesimus back as a brother. <laughs> welcome him back as you would welcome me. Onesimus. Paul is asking Philemon to identify with Onesimus in the same way that he identifies with Paul as a beloved brother, as an honored brother. This slave, this slave who had acted so unrighteously, this slave who had done so much wrong and could be deserving of death in that context, instead of receiving what he could receive was to be extended mercy. And not only that, but was to be welcomed with open arms as if it was the Apostle Paul himself. Now to his credit, Onesimus had brought forth fruit in keeping with repentance. See, everyone else, in, the people in Rome that he was with saw it. Paul saw it, but Philemon hadn't seen that yet. Colossians is the companion to Philemon. And in Colossians chapter 1, in verse 21, you really see a description of someone like Onesimus. It's a description of anyone who comes to Christ and what they were like before and then what happens to them when they are saved by the grace of God. 
Verse 21 says, Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. That was Onesimus when he got to Rome. That was Onesimus when he met Paul. But verse 22 says, Yet, yet, he, God, has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. God the Son, Jesus, has reconciled you in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Onesimus? To show his sincerity, Paul offers to pay whatever Onesimus owes. In verse 18, he says, If he has done you any wrong, or if he owes you anything. He's basically asking Philemon to assess the debt. Assess the size of the debt that Onesimus owed. What did he do wrong? Uh, What had he taken? Write it down. What does he owe? Put it on the account. Assessing the size of the debt includes out of necessity, admitting the wound it caused. And Philemon was now faced with a vivid reminder of exactly what Onesimus did. But assessing the size of the debt is a relatively easy thing to do. We have no trouble with that. When you're the injured party, you memorize those facts. You rehearse them in your mind. You go over them again and again. You plan out how you will respond to the person who hurt you due to what they did. You're thinking retribution and retaliation, not reconciliation. So it's not hard to assess the debt. We got that memorized. You want them to pay. The hard thing to do is to accurately assess someone's debt to you, and then assume the cost of the debt. Assume it. Pay for it by forgiving the debt. Philip Yancey calls forgiveness the most unnatural act. It's the most counterintuitive thing we can do. See, when you you forgive, it is of God. It's supernatural. Paul put himself on the line and he assumed the debt Onesimus owed Philemon. He said in verse 18, charge it to me. Charge it to me. It's a technical commercial word that he was using and he was offering to pay in full whatever charges Philemon wanted to say Onesimus owed. Whatever charges Philemon wanted to assess against Onesimus, Paul says, put it on my tab. I've got it. I've got him covered. In verse 19, he lends strength to it and says, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. Often someone else would write the letter as Paul dictated. It's, it's widely thought that Paul wrote the entire letter, short as it was, to Philemon. And in a sense, it was a promissory note. I'm going to pay back whatever this man owes to you. I'm writing this with my own hand. And then he says, parenthetically, not to mention that you owe your own life to me. You owe me something, Philemon. What do you owe? See, Paul's reminding Philemon that 
There was the debt that he owed that he could not repay. See, Onesimus owed Philemon a temporal debt, a material debt. Philemon owed Paul a spiritual one, an eternal debt. Because either directly through Paul or through Epaphras, Philemon came to know Christ. And so, coming to saving faith in Christ, as God used either Paul or one of his associates, was a debt that Philemon could never repay. There's a Greek word for forgive. Uh, it's aphiemi, and it, it means this. It means let the offense or the fault or the penalty be where it is. Just let it be where it is. When you let the, the penalty be where it is, when you assume a debt that someone owes you, uh, when you let it be on you instead of them, you, you are saying, in, in essence, you're not going to extract payment anymore for that debt. You're not going to milk that debt for all it's worth. Gary Stubblefield, my friend at Voyagers, put it something like, something like this. He said, let's say that someone gossips about you. Uh, that they, or they lie about you. Or that um, they betray your trust in some way. That they say um, slanderous things about you. Okay, we've all had that done to us. We've all done that to others. So you assess the size of the debt. Then you, in assuming that debt, you're refusing to extract payment in the way you usually would. How's that? Well, speaking about them in a demeaning way. Uh, treating them worse than you would treat other people. Slandering them under the guise of sharing hurts with others. Privately rooting for them to fail. Wanting them to trip up. Wanting them to fall on their face. Shaming them with self-righteousness. See, when we refuse to forgive, we take the one thing we don't like about that person and we magnify it. We, we blow it up out of proportion. We make them a cartoon, a caricature. We make it huge. Uh, they told us a lie, so they're a liar all the time. They were insensitive, so they are uncaring all the time. And we make their offense into a character trait. When we do that, what we do is we exaggerate our own righteousness and we, we uh, magnify their faults as if we don't ever do that to anyone else. But you want to get rid of the bitterness that you have towards someone who has offended you and hurt you and taken advantage of you? Then do what Jesus says. Go two miles. Go two miles instead of one. Go further than required. Refuse to poison um, yourself and them by retaliating. Let it go and pay their way too. Give more. Don't just not do the negative thing. Do something good for them. Bless them. Root for their their good. Root for them to win. Invest in them. 
That'll be hard. That will be hard. But when you forgive them their debt to you, you're pointing them to the Savior who alone can forgive their sin. See, forgiveness is not human. Forgiveness is divine. Jesus, in paying the debt we owed to God, He fully identified with us. He fully identified. We were the objects of God's holy and just and righteous wrath. And at the same time, we were objects of God's holy and merciful love. And He, Jesus, became one of us to do what we could never do. Look at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. Here, here is what Jesus did for us while we were dead spiritually. Okay? We're dead spiritually, unable to do a thing for ourselves. In Colossians 2.13, when you were dead, in your transgressions, And the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. And look at verse 14. Having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That's what Jesus did. He assumed our debt. He took it out of our way. He nailed it to the cross. See, the whole idea behind the incarnation of Jesus, Jesus identifying with us to the fullest, is that because God had assessed our debt, that in order to assume the debt, someone had to die. The payment had to be made. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 14 Paul is rehearsing what he used to be like and he said hey I was acting ignorantly in unbelief and then verse 14 but the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. And then verse 15, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. Everyone should agree with this one. Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That was the purpose of the incarnation. That Jesus became a man and in that act of dying for our sins, He provided what we could not. Which leads us to the second question. The second question. What exactly does paying the cost of forgiveness provide? What does it provide? What does it give? It it provides substitution. Substitution for the sinner. Where the substitute puts himself in the place of the offender. And then the offender is granted immunity 
by virtue of the person who stands in for them. Look at verse 20. Philemon, verse 20. He says this, he says, Yes, brother, he calls him brother. Brother Philemon, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Now he's asking him to do something for Onesimus. But he says, let me benefit from you. See, Onesimus was going to get the benefit. But Paul's statement makes it very clear that he is virtually substituting himself for Onesimus. Let me benefit from you as you allow Onesimus to be forgiven. See, it wasn't just Onesimus that would be helped by uh, Philemon's favorable reception of him. Paul would be helped as well. His heart would be refreshed. He says, refresh my heart in Christ. His heart would be refreshed to know that these two brothers had been reconciled. That they were at odds and they had entered into a relationship now of true Christian brotherhood. They weren't just going to put up with each other from a distance. They were going to associate with one another on a daily basis. It's one thing to say, you know, I forgive that person, but I don't want to see their face. Paul is saying to Philemon, accept Onesimus just as if it was me. And then he says, and I'm going to put myself right in his place. Let me benefit from you in the Lord. Let me benefit from you as you minister to Onesimus. See, he went out of his way to ensure that these two brothers would dwell in unity rather than hostility. He went out of his way to make sure that two brothers that were at odds got back together. See, Paul knew the basis of forgiveness. The basis of forgiveness is the the substitutionary atonement of Christ. Which means this, that in and through Christ crucified, God substituted himself for us and bore our sins. He took our sins upon himself. He died in our place. The death we deserve to die in order that we might be restored to his favor. In order that he might adopt us into his family. Not counting our trespasses against us. But calling us beloved children. We who were so unworthy of of anything good coming our way due to our sin received the maximum benefit of being reconciled with God. God, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.22, made Jesus, who knew no sin, sinless, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. It shows us clearly that substitution is grace-based, not merit-based. You don't have to be good enough because you could never be good enough. Well-known and familiar passages tell us that truth. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, You were dead in your transgressions and sins, trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked. 
Verse 4 says, But God being rich in mercy, God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, His holy love, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace. And then over in Romans, chapter 5. Paul knew full well the basis of forgiveness. Romans 5 and verse 6. While we were still helpless, unable to do anything on our own, while we were still helpless... There was this total inability on our part. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You have to make yourself godly to come to Jesus. It's grace-based, not merit-based. Mirroring what Christ did, Paul then offers to take the debt, uh, the full obligation of Onesimus' debt, not because of his merits, He didn't have any as a slave, and he didn't have any by his track record. It wasn't by his merits, it was by grace. It wasn't that Onesimus had become such a great guy that that now Philemon should forgive him. It was because he had become a brother in Christ that he should forgive him, due to grace. To see just how important forgiveness is to Jesus, I want us to take a closer look, another look, at that parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. Go there with me. Matthew chapter 18. Jesus is illustrating forgiveness in this vivid story that uses the imagery of debt. Debt was often associated with sin in the ancient world and and the parable has three parts. The first part pictures God and us and it's in verses 23 to 27. Jesus says, the re- for this reason, the, he's talking about forgiveness with Peter. And, God is, and Jesus is saying, uh, just forgive unlimited. Okay, that's, that's the rule. Just unlimited. So don't, don't put a limit on your forgiveness of others. And, and then Jesus says in verse 23, well, for this reason, the kingdom of God can be compared to, uh, to a king. And it talks about this king who has a servant who runs up this insurmountable debt that he owes the king. It's this debt of 10,000 talents. Okay, Now the talent was the most valuable coinage in those days, and 10,000 was the largest um, Greek word for a, uh, with a number, the largest single number for which Greek had an individual word. So Jesus is picking the highest number imaginable. It was equal to about, get this, 275,000 years of labor for the average worker. It's a debt no one could ever repay. It's just so huge. You can't, even, you can't even think about it. And in this story, the parts are really clear. You see, the servant is a person. Okay? Uh, the, the king is God. And the debt, the point, is that the human sin is an unrepayable debt. You can never pay it. You could never pay the debt back to God. So the king plans in this, in this parable to sell the, the servant and his family. Okay, sell them. And, and the servant begs for mercy with the king and he, get this, he promises to pay it back. 
I'll pay it all back. He could never pay it back. But he says, I'll, I'll pay it back. Now, there's no way he could possibly do that, but the king has compassion upon his servant, and he forgives him the debt. He, he forgives him. He lets it go. Okay. Pictures God's forgiveness given freely to those who come to him by faith. It's a beautiful picture. But the second part of the story uh, pictures the servant and his own debtor, uh, a peer, someone who owed him some money, and it illustrates the, the situation between us and others. It's in verses 28 through 30. And it says that that slave went out and found, he sought him out, by the way, he found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. All right. Now, that debt was microscopic. <laughs> you can't even see it uh, compare, in comparison to what's been forgiven by the king. So a hundred denarii was equivalent to about a hundred days wages. It was a big debt, but not anything compared to what he had been forgiven of. A very small debt compared to an insurmountable one. The servant, though, demands payment. He says, you've got to pay me back. His debtor falls to his knees, much like what he had done to the king, with the king, and he begs for mercy. But the servant didn't have compassion on his friend or his peer, his fellow slave. He rejects the appeal for leniency, and he, and he has the guy thrown in prison. Now, the third part of this story deals with the fallout when people see how unforgiving the servant was to his peer. And it pictures when we don't forgive, and it's in verses 31 to 35. The fellow slaves saw what happened, verse 31. They were deeply grieved. They came and reported it to the king. They told the king. See, they can't believe that that servant would act so unjustly. So the king finds out, and he reminds the man what he had done for him. That the servant obviously, should have had mercy on his peer just as the king had mercy on him. The king then throws him in debt until the debt is repaid, which again we all know could never be repaid. Now Jesus then warns his listeners that similar judgment from the Father awaits those who don't forgive their brothers and their sisters from their heart. Wow. Now, what happens with the servant is the same standard of judgment that he used was applied to him. His failure to forgive left him unforgiven. But Jesus' point is this. God's forgiveness of us is not a matter of justice or fairness, but grace. Grace. And Jesus wants our relationships governed by grace. So we can't say, well, God, I want you to deal with me with grace, but I'm going to deal with justice with my fellow man. It doesn't work that way. Not for believers. See, he wants us to give each other the same grace, the same kindness expressed in tangible expression that is shown to us in Christ. And so when we do that, we provide something so uncommon in this world of retaliation and retribution. In Matthew 6, and in a few other places, we, we see in the Lord's Prayer that we are to pray, 
forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Some people say trespasses, some people say debts, but we are, we're not told, interestingly, to forgive other people's sins. We are not told to forgive other people's sins, we're to forgive others for what they've done. There's a, different, there's a difference here. Only God can release someone of the guilt and the power of sin. We release someone of the debt they owe us because they've sinned. But we do not release them of the debt that they owe God. God forgives sin. We forgive the sinner. It's different. That's why this is not so clean and how we always kind of get puzzled looks on our face when when we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors because if, if we go... If we go the way of saying, if you don't forgive, then you won't be forgiven, it makes your forgiveness merit-based. And it's by grace. So what does it mean? Uh, Greek scholar uh, Spiros Zodiatis puts it this way, we are to ask God to forgive us our sins, to remove them away from us so that we do not stand guilty of them or under their power. But we're never expected to forgive the sins of others because we have no power to do so. But we are expected to forgive others. This means we should do everything within our power to see that the sins of others are removed from them through the power and the grace of Jesus Christ. See, God forgives us our sins. We forgive people for what they did to us. God's forgiveness isn't something he dangles over our heads and says, now if you don't forgive others, I'm not going to give you this forgiveness. That would be merit-based. The basis for, of God's forgiveness for us is not our forgiveness of others. According to the gospel, the only basis on which God forgives our sin is the cross of Christ. So, How do you jive that with forgive us of our sins as we forgive our debtors? He is teaching that those who are truly forgiven will forgive. You see, it's the idea of forgiving not out of fear of losing forgiveness, but forgiving out of gratitude for having received it. In offering forgiveness, the substitute must be willing to do something. He must be willing to suffer the consequences of the debt that sin has created. Philemon had been wronged. Onesimus was in need of forgiveness. And Paul steps in and he offers to pay the price to bring it about. Martin Luther saw it this way. What Christ has done for us with God the Father... St. Paul does also for Onesimus with Philemon. For we are all his Onesimuses if we believe. We are God's Onesimuses. Philemon, like God, had been wronged. Onesimus needed the forgiveness. Paul offered to pay the price to bring it about. And that is what Jesus did for us on a much, much larger scale, on an eternal scale as the mediator between God and man. That Jesus was willing to suffer the eternal consequences of our sin. That he himself took our sins in his body on the cross. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 
For by his wounds you are healed. In 1 Corinthians 11, Jesus says, this is my body which is for you. What that means is, this is my body which has been given in behalf, on behalf, in the place of you. Humans owe something to God. Humans owe a debt to God. And the debt of sin needed to be repaid. John Stott wrote this about our debt and about what God did to cover it. The only way for God's holy love to be satisfied is for his holiness to be directed in judgment upon his appointed substitute. In order that his love may be directed towards us in forgiveness. The substitute bears the penalty that we sinners may receive the pardon. The righteous, loving Father humbled himself to become in and through his own Son flesh, sin, and a curse for us in order to redeem us without compromising his own character. And then he says this, At the cross, in holy love, God through Christ paid the full penalty of our disobedience. Himself. He bore the judgment we deserve in order to bring us the forgiveness we do not deserve. On the cross, divine mercy and justice were equally expressed and equally reconciled. God's holy love was satisfied. But you see, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. The essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. And that reveals the proud human heart. We insist upon paying for what we've done. And we insist upon others doing the same. But the gospel demands acknowledgement of bankruptcy. The gospel demands allowing someone else to pay for you. And so we are never more like Jesus when we pay someone's debt that they owe us so that reconciliation can take place. Because of what Christ has done, To forgive sin, we can forgive others. We're faced with that all the time. We are faced with that decision every day. Sometimes on a huge, grand scale, and sometimes in a small, small setting. Think about the people of Rwanda. They have been faced with forgiveness for 14 years. They've been faced with with, uh, hatred and bitterness over what was done to their families and to them, those who were living. See, in 1994, uh, a, a, a genocide that was unthinkable happened. A million people were killed in a hundred days by their own people out of hatred for tribes within their own land. And some 50,000 people were uh, thrown in jail for murdering and other things that they, other crimes they committed. The problem in that country was that they couldn't uh, deal with the backlog of court cases that it had uh, produced, and so they decided to let the prisoners go free. 50,000 out on the streets who had killed their own people, and they went back into neighborhoods where sometimes they were living right next door to people whose families they slaughtered. And the, 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 the thing that has been their, their challenge and their task 
obviously, is to forgive. And there is a big push in that country for reconciliation based upon the message of Jesus. Are they going to forgive or are they going to be eaten up and consumed by the hatred that was, that was brought about by acts of senseless hatred? But see, we're faced with similar issues. Have you been wounded? Have you been betrayed? God asks you to forgive others on the basis of what he has done for you and what he is doing in you. The cost has been paid by grace. And we're called in a much smaller way to mirror that same grace. Let's pray. Lord God, forgiveness is hard. And Lord, we know that what you have done for us is immeasurable beyond what we could ever do for someone else. But Lord, we pray for grace to show grace. 